All right, how many are excited to get into the Word? All right, we're going to continue our series today, Airplane Mode, and to bring the Word, give it up for our associate pastor, Matt Belusa. Thank you, Pastor Roland. I had fun just now because I came out of this door on the side. Uh, normally when we preach, I wait for the announcements to be done and I come out of the curtains on the side, but the curtains have been replaced by doors. So instead of just waiting awkwardly, I didn't want to be a distraction for Lucas. Didn't he do a great job, by the way? That guy killed it. So I decided I'm going to go wait behind the door where Aldrey just went. I say bye to Aldrey. And we have the God of the open door, amen? And the God of the closed door. He is the God who closes doors that no one can open and who opens doors that no man can shut. So regardless of what happens with these doors on stage, the doors on your life have been dictated by God. And if God has closed the door, you can rest assured that what was on the other side of that door is not for you in this season of your life. And what God has for you beyond the doors that he has opened is exactly what you need to learn how to love him and trust him and experience everything he has for you. Amen? That has nothing to do with the message. It has everything to do with the props on stage. The message has to do with our series that we've been doing in October, really only once. But it's called Airplane Mode. And uh, we're doing this series because we live in a busy world a noisy world, a distracted world. And because of that, we can end up with noisy, busy, and distracted souls. So we need to do what I just did with my phone when I speak with it and turn on the airplane mode of our hearts so that we can shut out the distractions long enough to know God personally and follow God practically. That's where discipleship starts. For a member of an every nation church here and anywhere in the world, we want to follow God. And because of the grace of God through Jesus, we can follow God in a personal way way. And sometimes that's just the daily decisions that we make to follow God. And at other times, it's really loud and big and exciting, like it was for this church last week, Sunday. Who was here for our fifth anniversary celebration? Now, I'm very grateful to God that I'm part of a community of believers that loves him, that worships him, and that knows how to throw a party. So we had the word, and Pastor Roland brought forth vision for this church, Then we went outside, and we had games that were awesome, and we hung out together on the tents and the tables, and there were tacos. Who had tacos? Now, if you weren't there and you didn't have tacos, I'm sorry. I'm convinced there will be tacos in heaven, and you can have them forever. Don't miss them. Well, there won't be another fifth anniversary. Taco Bell is open pretty late. Taco Bell is open. Uh, but everybody had a great time who was there, but I had a problem. Because right before the service began, I was unloading some of the ice from my big Subaru Ascent, and I had parked it right out front, and I brought the ice out, and guys like Richard and Ardell, some of the other dudes, they came over to help load those coolers, and I said, okay, service is about to start. The taco cart has to come, and it's going to park where I parked. I better move my car. And if you walked in, before 10.20, you saw my gray ascent just parked right there out in front. But the problem was I couldn't find my keys. And I kept asking in my mind over and over and over again as I ran around the property, where are my keys? Where are my keys? So I looked by the cooler, not there. I looked in the cooler, not there. I ran to the front row where my wife Jerrica is sitting, not there. I went to the back where we have our pre-service meetings, not there. The whole time, where are my keys? I have a problem. It's a big problem. It's parked out in front. The tacos won't be made. Everyone's going to hate me. I need my keys. Where are my keys? 
No, no, not in my pocket. My, my mom's pocket. My mom had my keys. 34 years old. I'm married. I have two kids. We own a house. My mom has my keys. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't outgrow that. And I was able to move the car inside. But that moment reminded me of another question that we ask. And this question is far more consequential. And if we're willing to admit it, most of us have wrestled with this question in some shape or form at some point in our lives. We might even be wrestling with this question right now. And that question is where is God? Where is God? When bad things happen, when we're confused, when God feels distant, when we have problems and we need him and we don't know where to find him, maybe we can't feel his presence. Where is God? I believe the Bible actually answers that question in different ways. And God is aware of the fact that we're looking for him and he doesn't want to leave us lost forever. So today we're going to go to God's word and answer that question. But first, let's pray together. Because whether you know where he is or not, he hears us. Bow your heads with me. Lord, I thank you that you hear every prayer. And Lord, you hear this one. And Lord, you see the hearts that are desperately searching for you. Even the hearts of your children who are confused because they're facing a situation in their life that's difficult and their experience of your presence for one reason or another is not what they imagined or not what they're looking for. Lord, I pray that you would teach us right now in this moment how to find you and exactly where you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this is one of those things that church people aren't really excited to talk about or admit, but the fact of the matter is that God can feel distant. And God is aware of this, so he makes it a point to show us in different ways that the people we read about in the Bible, they experience this. So here's where we're going to start talking about the subject of where God is. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 reads like this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That is right. Today we will start our time in God's word together by reading a genealogy. Yes. You know, there are a few things that I always get excited about. I'm excited when my kids are doing well. I'm excited when my team's doing well. The Eagles were five and one, except the one was last week. Congrats to Eric and the Jets. I'm, I'm worried about tonight, man. The secondary is banged up. Tua's about to go for 500 yards. But uh, Chris, thank you for the encouragement you gave me this morning. There is hope. Hope is alive. Hope is alive in Jesus. Amen. I'm excited to eat good food. Pastor Roland made great food for the college ministry last night. We had a great time together. And I'm always excited to read a genealogical record in scripture. Now, if you are unfamiliar with church or Christianity, the chuckles that you hear are because the Christians in the room know that I'm lying. I'm being incredibly sarcastic because genealogies can be incredibly boring. It's okay to admit that. However, if we're willing to look past the surface, then we'll actually see a list of people and reference to events that help us understand where God is and what we can do when God feels distant. And there are three different reasons why, at least three different reasons why, God can feel distant. So reason number one, we do bad things. 
Now, this one's obvious. Again, we don't want to talk about this one, but we do bad things, and so did the people in the Bible. So let's read the first few scriptures in this genealogy, and we'll see people who did bad things. We'll talk about what they did instead of us. Uh, this is Matthew chapter 1, verses 2 through 6. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Should we make this more exciting? And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. This is too much. <clears throat> and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nishan, and Nishan the father of Salmon. Salmon's delicious. And Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, Jesse's and Jesse the father of David the king. We got through it. We're fine. We just read through a list of people who are very significant in our faith, fathers of the faith. So where are the people who did bad things? Let's start with the first name on the list. Father Abraham, who was called a friend of God. Because God, when Abraham was still Abram, initiated a covenant relationship with Abram and said to him, I will make you a father of many nations, and through you the nations of the earth will be blessed. Your children will be like the sand on the seashore, like the stars on the sky. And Abraham, Abram at the time, he's excited. So he begins to walk with God and live with God in covenant relationship. And he goes where God tells him to go. But over the years, it seems as if, as if the promise of God was going a little too slow for Abraham's liking. And a little too slow for his wife Sarah or Sarai's liking. So Abram and Sarai did what many of us do when God isn't working the way that we want him to. And they tried to take matters into their own hands. And Sarai did this by suggesting something that was common in society back then, which was to take her handmaiden, her servant girl, offer her to her husband in sexual relationship, so that Sarah and Abraham could have a child through her handmaiden, Hagar. And that's exactly what happened. And while this was common for society back then, it was still very unfitting for a man who was supposed to be carrying the covenant with God. So Hagar gets pregnant and gives birth to Ishmael, and as you can imagine, Hagar's relationship with Sarah became very difficult. And years later, when Sarah finally gave birth to Isaac, who was the child of promise, now Ishmael is attacking Isaac. And Abraham sends Hagar and Ishmael away. And good old father Abraham did bad throughout the entire situation. And as a result of that, God felt distant to him and to Sarah, and especially to Hagar and Ishmael. And it gets even worse, because Abraham had a great-grandson named Judah. Now, you might remember the name Judah, the Lion of Judah. Jesus is legally descended from the tribe of Judah. Judah, leader among his brothers, strong man, kind of a shady guy. Judah had three sons. Their names were Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Shelah? Shelah. Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Ur, the first son, marries a woman named Tamar. And before Ur and Tamar can have a child, Ur dies. So now, per custom, again, it becomes the responsibility of the second son, Onan, to produce an heir for his brother Ur with Tamar. Onan was unwilling to do it, and before Onan had children with Tamar. He didn't want to. He died too. 
So now Judah has two sons that have died after being with Tamar. And Judah is convinced that something's wrong with Tamar. So he says, I'm going to withhold what she is entitled to by right. And regardless of what happens to her, it doesn't matter as long as my last son is alive. Now that's a problem for Tamar because one of the reasons why it was the responsibility of a brother produce, to produce an heir for a brother who died was to ensure that the widow of his brother would have someone to take care of her when she got old. And at this point, Tamar was a woman who couldn't have a job, who didn't have rights to property. She didn't have anything. And I imagine she was staring into the future, not knowing what was going to happen to her. So Tamar does something bad. And she changes out of her widow's mourning garb, and she changes into the garb of a cult prostitute. And then she goes out by the side of the road where she knows her father-in-law, Judah, will be passing by. And it says absolutely everything about Judah that Tamar can do this and she knows it's going to work. So without knowing who it is, Judah sees this woman who apparently is a cult prostitute, hires her, hires her, sleeps with her, impregnates her, and thinks he'll never see her again. Well, obviously he will. At this point, Tamar is probably somewhere on Judah's property. So people let Judah know, hey, you're daughter-in-law, Tamar, she's pregnant. And he says, well, let's punish her. Let's kill her, essentially. And Tamar says, okay, but you have to do it to the guy who owns this stuff, too. And Judah had given her his ring and his staff to say, hey, I'm going to pay you later. It's like an IOU. It's super weird. And Tamar gives birth to the children of her father-in-law, Judah. That's Perez his brother, started with a Z. Judah and Tamar, but Judah especially, did bad throughout the entire situation. And because of him doing bad, of him sinning, God felt distant. And of course, that list concluded with King David. David who slayed Goliath. David, a man after God's own heart. David appointed king of Israel. David went up on the roof one day instead of going to war with his soldiers like he should have. Moving my water bottle out of the way. And as he stood on his roof, he looked across the city and he saw a woman bathing on the top of her house. And he decided to creep on her. And then he called her over through some messengers. And he had an affair with this woman. And she became pregnant. Now it turns out that the woman, Bathsheba, was married to one of his most loyal and best soldiers, Uriah. So first he tried to pass the child off as Uriah's child. But Uriah said, my brothers are at war. I can't go see my wife. I'm going to sleep outside the castle. I'm a loyal soldier. And King David realizes, my sin will be discovered. I can't have this. And he conspires for Uriah to be killed. And he sends Uriah to the front lines of battle. And he commands his leading general to give a command to withdraw that everybody in the army received except Uriah. And everyone on the front line withdrew and Uriah was left behind and he was killed. Good old King David. Did bad things. And when we do things like this, when we sin, it makes us distant from God and it makes our distance from God that much more noticeable. Because sin is offensive to God. God is holy and righteous and good and pure and true. And sin is any action, thought, 
motive attitude that prioritizes and chooses some selfish desire instead of love for God and love for other people. So instead of saying, God, I love you, you're saying, God, I love this thing more than you. And that causes God to be distant. First reason why. Second reason why God can feel distant is bad things happen in the world. So as Matthew is writing his book, He's writing first, initially, primarily to first century Jews. And when they read this genealogy, they would have noticed something really big and really bad that happened in verse 11, which says, And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. In the mind of a first century Jew, the deportation to Babylon would have been one of the most tragic, dark, depressing moments in Jerusalem's history, in Israel's history, in the southern kingdom of Judah's history in particular. Because the people of Israel were meant to walk with God in relationship to him and display God's goodness to the world. They were meant to be the model of what it was like to walk in relationship with God. Like you walk into a model home, you see what a home can be. You look at a model nation like Israel was supposed to be with God, and you see this is what it could look like if we all follow God together. Well, they failed rather miserably, and as a result, their kingdom fell apart, and it fell to Babylon. The kingdom of Babylon came, and they encamped around Jerusalem, and they laid siege to Jerusalem for two years. And if you're familiar with siege, then you know that it's a war tactic to deprive your enemy of resources and help. And over a period of time, they exhaust all the resources they have left. And when they're weak and starved and feeble, then you attack them and you win an easy battle. That's exactly what Babylon did to Jerusalem. So the people inside Jerusalem were literally starving. Many of them died to starvation. And when it seemed like it couldn't get any worse, the Babylonians marched in and captured people, including the royal family, the line of David, and took them as captives to Babylon. And the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah was destroyed. And I imagine a lot of the people who lived there, people who lived elsewhere in Judah and even in the northern kingdom Israel at the time, they must have asked, where is God? Now, bad things continue to happen in the world today, and they continue at times to involve Israel like it does right now. At this point, everyone knows that on October 7th, Hamas ran into Israel, and they committed a bloody, brutal terrorist act, capturing people, sexually assaulting women, targeting children, killing people. And in response, Israel declared war on Hamas, and as they fight back, innocent people are caught in the crossfire. Now, there's a lot of noise around this. There's a lot going on about this. If anybody wants to know more about it, have a scholarly background and expert opinion, I recommend the Stephen Mansfield podcast. Stephen Mansfield is an author. Uh, he wrote The Faith of George W. Bush, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, The Search for God in Guinness, very prolific author. He's been a faith and culture commentator on CNN and Fox News and everything along the spectrum. He's a pastor. He's also part of the Every Nation family, so that's pretty cool. Check out his podcast, um, the most recent one. It was from this past Tuesday. But these things that are happening in Israel and in Palestine, they're enough to make any of us feel like God is distant. 
They can make anyone ask, where is God? When we hear about these problems across the globe. But these problems are, in fact, across the globe. And not all problems are. Some problems are far more personal because bad things can happen in our lives. And here's where Matthew chapter 1 and the genealogy takes a turn because it goes from the historical and genealogical to the very personal as it zooms in and focuses on the life of one man. You've heard of him before. This man's name is Joseph. Let's read Matthew 1, 18 and 19. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child. From the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Betrothal is not something that we practice anymore. It's like it existed between our modern concepts of engagement and marriage. It's very official. So much so that you needed a legal divorce to break a betrothal. Joseph and Mary were committed to each other. And as we see, Joseph is a very good and righteous and committed and virtuous man. So imagine this good and committed and righteous and virtuous man's shock one day when he woke up and Mary arrived and said, Joseph, I'm pregnant and you know it's not yours. It was God's. And here we are in the year 2023 and we know that Mary was telling the truth. We know that really was Jesus, that Mary really was a virgin, that Jesus really was the son of God. But Joseph didn't know any of that. So Joseph who's a good man, probably feels deeply betrayed and heartbroken and hurt. And he would have felt like something bad, horrible, tragic happened in his life. And things that are bad and horrible and tragic happen in our lives too. Because we struggle financially and sometimes it's dire. We wonder what to do with our lives and feel like we don't know what our future holds. We have relatives and loved ones who struggle with illness, disease. Maybe it's us struggling with illness, disease. And unfortunately, in a world that is marred by sin, the people that we love die. And when these things happen to us, we ask the same question that Joseph might have asked. Where is God? When God feels distant... When we do bad things and bad things happen in the world and bad things happen to us, where is God? You ready to find out where God is? This is where God is. God is on his throne. God is on his throne. God is on his throne. And it was easy to miss in the last scripture, but verse 18 pointed to the biggest point of evidence that we could ever find to prove the fact that God is on his throne. You know, this is fact. God is on his throne. It doesn't matter what our feelings tell us because our feelings lie to us. And in regards to this particular thing, it doesn't even matter what our faith says because whether you believe it or not, God is on his throne. All that determines is whether or not we experience him. It is fact that God is on his throne, and we know it because of fact in this world, and we see that fact at the beginning of Matthew verse 118, and it says, and the birth of Jesus Christ took place. 
in spite of all the bad things and dumb things and idiotic things that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah and Perez and all of them did. In spite of the bad things that David did. In spite of the bad things that Solomon did. In spite of the bad things that Hezekiah did. In spite of the bad things that everyone else did along the way. In spite of the bad things that happened in the world. In spite of the fact that Jerusalem essentially ceased to exist for a period of history. In spite of the bad things that happened in people's lives, including Mary and Joseph's lives. The birth of Jesus Christ took place. And when Jesus was born, he came and he lived in a way that would fulfill the mission that God sent him out to do. When bad things happen, critics like to ask the question, if God is good, and if God is all-powerful, and if God is on his throne, then why doesn't God just snap his fingers like Thanos with the infinity gauntlet and just make all the evil go away? Why can't he do that? And I think that's a really fair question. Because it's rooted in pain and reality. And here's the answer to that question. God can snap his fingers and make all the evil go away. However, there is an awful lot of evil inside us. And if God wanted to eradicate all of the evil in the world instantly, then he would have to eradicate us. And God doesn't want to do that. It isn't just God's goal to reject evil. It is also God's goal to redeem us and restore creation. Therefore, Jesus Christ came to this earth to do that which only he could do. And he lived a perfect life, loving God and loving people, sinless and pure, which made him the perfect sacrifice. And it qualified him to go to the cross, to pay the price, the penalty for our sin, and to do it in our place. It's like we racked up, all of us together, this infinite debt. And Jesus came, and he signed the check to pay our debt, and he signed it in his blood. So Jesus went to the cross for us, and three days later, death couldn't hold him. Jesus rose again. And when Jesus rose again, it proved everything we need to know. It proved that Jesus Christ really is the Son of God. That Jesus really is powerful. That he was in control and is in control. If he was in control on the cross and in the tomb, he's in control right now. And he's also going to redeem us, those who are willing to follow him and believe in him. And he will restore creation at the end of the age. This resurrection, the historical fact that Jesus rose from the dead, it proves once and for all, for all of eternity, that God is on his throne. But God is spirit. And while God is on his throne, God is not just on his throne. The next set of scriptures makes it very clear that in addition to being on his throne, God wants to be with us. God wants to be with us. Let's read the next few verses. This is Matthew chapter 1, verses 22, 22, uh, 23, excuse me. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name 
Emmanuel, which means God with us. From the very beginning of time, God wanted to be with us. And that's why when God made mankind, God the Father turns to God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. He didn't do that for any other creation. And it was so that mankind could have relationship with him, could understand him to an extent, could relate to him. And then he's with Adam and Eve in the garden. He's experiencing fellowship with them. He's walking around the garden with them. And after Adam and Eve sinned, and after they pushed God away and rejected him and betrayed him, God pursued them. God chased after them. God initiated relationship with them even after he pushed them away. And it finds its fulfillment and it grows in Jesus, the word who became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And Jesus left heaven in pursuit of us, of me, of you. And then he went to the cross and stretched his arms out wide as if to say, I want to be with you. And this is how far. I'm willing to go. And this invitation from Jesus is waiting, and we know where it ends up, because at the end of the age, God's people will be with him in a world that is redeemed and restored, where sin is no more, and death is no more, and bad things don't happen in the world, and bad things don't happen in our lives, and God is going to wipe away every single tear from our eye, and we will be with him forever. God with us. But God's not just with us in those good moments. God wants to be with us in the bad moments. I think of Psalm 20, 23. Scripture everyone knows. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you. <laughs> you are with me. Psalm 34. God is near to the brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Matthew 28, as Jesus is ascending his very last words, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you. Always, to the very end of the age, God with us. God wants to be with us. Will you let God be with you? And if we know that God wants to be with us and can be with us, then we can walk with God even when we don't feel like it. Even when God feels distant. Even when we don't feel the goosebumps on our skin. When the worship team hasn't followed us home on Sunday. That, that, the worship team follows me home on Sunday. But for everyone else, I, mean, I guess you guys are the worship team. The worship team goes with you. Everyone else, all you've got is Spotify. Worship team doesn't follow us home on Sunday. The preacher doesn't follow us home on Sunday. I'm not going to follow you home unless, you know, football party, wings, pizza, Philly cheesesteak. That's, that's how we do it. But when the feelings die down and we aren't inspired at any given moment, when it's not like our fire is burning inside of us, when we aren't filled with faith, we can still walk with God. It's exactly what Joseph did. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He did it. He took Mary as his wife, and after he took Mary as his wife, they endured a lot of criticism and judgment and shame 
and guilt and gossip, none of which they deserve to go through because they were both innocent. But they see two people who are not married and people are judging them. And then, in the midst of all this, there comes a decree that they must go for a census back to Joseph's hometown. This is a problem because at the time, and we have a map here, Joseph and Mary were living in Nazareth. Now, raise your hand if you've ever been to Nazareth. Yeah, thought so. Me neither, but praise God for Google. Nazareth, very high up there in Galilee, up in the north. Bethlehem, where David is from, down in the south. It's a 90-mile walk. It's a four-day journey. Mary is pregnant. They don't have a car. They might have an animal. They definitely walked. So they walked with God in spite of the fact that they probably didn't sing, feel like it every step along the way. Then according to the law, they went to Jerusalem, which is only six miles away, eight days after the birth of Jesus, to dedicate Jesus in the temple. And then after Jerusalem, they go back to Bethlehem. And as they're in Bethlehem, the wise men come, and they're like, we are three wise men. I, I don't know. By the way, it doesn't even say in the Bible that there are three wise men. There are wise men who gave three gifts. <clears throat> anyway. So these wise men come and they're like, hey, uh, here's Jesus. Oh, and by the way, we said to Herod that he should come say hi too. Well, Joseph has another, has another dream, and an angel warns him in the dream. It's like, yeah, those guys totally snitched on Jesus. Herod's trying to kill him now. You need to run away. So they left Bethlehem and went even further south to live as refugees in Egypt. The shortest possible distance would have been Bethlehem to the northern border of Egypt, which is another 40 miles. I have a wife. How would 40 miles have felt after giving birth? Any other? Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's tough. They didn't feel like it. And yet, they knew God was with them. So for hundreds of miles, they walked with God in spite of the way they felt. And we can do the same thing. We can walk with God even when we don't feel like it. We can read the word again. We can pray again. We can pray again, again, again. We can go to life group again. We can go to service again. We can listen to a podcast again. We can listen to worship music again. We can raise up our hands again. We can fast again. We can sing to Jesus again. We can come out in accountability again. We can pray with someone again. We can invite someone to church again. We can make a disciple again. We can download one-to-one again. We can start it again. We can do all of these things again and again and again in spite of the way we feel, when we feel like it's hard, when we feel like it's difficult, when we feel like it's not fair, when we feel like it's hard, when it's not easy, we can walk with God because he's with us. Because he's with us. And if we keep doing that, walking with God, step after step after step after step, we'll be able to do what Joseph and Mary eventually did. We'll be able to look back and see what God has done. We'll be able to look back and see how far God has brought us. I know there's a lot of people in the room who have been walking with God for any period of time. Maybe it's been a month, six months, a year, five years, ten years, a life. If you've walked with God for any decent period of time, I want you to take a moment and think about your life.
What was it like when you first met Jesus? What was it like when you first heard the gospel and responded and said, I want to know him. I want to follow him. I want to be like him. Where were you back then? Where are you now? I know where I was. I was lost and lonely, even though I was surrounded by an awful lot of people. And I was living for things that I thought would make me happy, but would have ultimately proved empty. I met God. And I walked with Him. As many of you had, we have walked with Him even when we didn't feel like it. Look where God has brought us. You know, we read content from Matthew. The book of Luke is actually more detailed regarding the birth of Christ. Where do you think that information came from? <coughs> because he found out, or maybe it was some sort of divine revelation, like the Holy Spirit spoke and told the disciples exactly what happened, told the gospel writers like Matthew and Mark, it's probably Peter, uh, dictating to Mark, and Luke, and everybody else. He, probably, he could have told them what happened. It could have been another angel. But the most likely answer based on what we read in Luke chapter 2, was that all this information about the birth of Jesus Christ came from Mary herself. The end of Luke chapter 2 has a little nugget thrown in there. It says, Mary treasured all of these things up in her heart. What we can infer from that is that Mary looked back at the end of her life and saw how far God brought them. And many of us just did that for ourselves. And I promise you that every single person in this room, even if you're a guest, you can walk out in the lobby and just grab somebody and say, hey, tell me about where God has brought you. And I promise all of you, and I promise this, I guarantee you, I'd stake my own life on it. Jesus did if you'd walk with him starting today and you keep walking with him even if you don't feel like it even when God feels distant and he's not then you'll be able to look back one day and see what God has done and see how far God brought you so when people ask where is God? When we ask, where is God? Here are the answers. God is on his throne. And God wants to be with us. Will you let God be with you and walk with him regardless of the way you feel? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you as I speak these words and as my family and faith and everyone here joins with me, you hear us while seated on your throne above heaven and earth and all of creation. While the angels fly around you shouting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. That's where you are. And want to be with us. That you 
the king and creator of the universe, you want to be with us in our lives, in our desperation, in our difficulty. So Lord, I pray that you would move on us to open the door and let you in by faith. There are two prayers I want to pray this morning. The first prayer is for those who don't have a personal relationship with God. You don't know what it means to be a Christian or to follow Jesus, but you want to start that today, right here and right now. This can also apply to you if you've walked with God before and you haven't walked with him recently. You've been distant in your relationship with God. You can choose to recommit to following Jesus in relationship with him. If either of those two things apply to you, then on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand while myself and just a couple leaders look around just so we know that we can come find you and pray with you. Right? If that's you, raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Anybody here? Anybody here? You want to have that relationship with Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. I see you. All right. So here's what we're going to do. For the person who rose their hand today, I want us to say this prayer that starts this relationship with Jesus because of the faith that's existing inside of our heart and the confession of our mouth. So repeat after me. Say, Father in heaven, I believe that you sent Jesus, that he lived for me, died for me, and rose again. Jesus, help me to know you and follow you. In your name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Can we give a hand to the person who made that decision this morning? And one thing I want to pray for, we have a lot of family in the house this morning, a lot of Christians. So why don't we bow our heads one more time and we'll pray together. If you're here and you feel like it's been hard to walk with God because something's been difficult, because God has felt distant to you, and maybe because of things going on in your life or in the world, you've asked that question, where is God? I want to pray for you. And I want to pray that you would experience the nearness and intimacy of God, but that he would also empower you by his spirit to walk with him even if you don't feel like it because he's on his throne and because he's nearby, even when our emotions tell us otherwise. So if that's you and you want that prayer, then would you raise your hand right now? Yeah. yeah. Go ahead and raise your hand. Just slip it right up. There's a lot of people raising their hands. We're in a safe place. No judgment here. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. Lord, I thank you that there hasn't been a difficult step that you didn't see. Lord, your word says that the number of hairs on our head is numbered before you, that a single sparrow doesn't fall without you knowing about it. So you know the, the difficulty that we face. You know that it's been hard. We know You know that we have felt distant from you, but I pray, oh God, that you would allow us to experience intimacy with you again. Lord, I pray that your love would cover us in this moment and be real and personal and tangible. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be near to the brokenhearted as you've promised. Jesus, I pray that you would be with us as you've promised. And as we act on the truth of who you are, help us to follow you forward and take the next step in our lives of walking with you, regardless of what that step is. Point us to the right people help us discover what that is if we don't know what it is already. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name.
So if you want to walk with God, you are not meant to do it alone. Most of the people here are already in a life group or in some kind of discipleship relationship. If you're not, I want you to go to our website, everynationlasvegas.org. And on the front page, near the top, there's a button that says, want to get connected? Click here. That's what you do when you want to get connected. You'll fill it out. One of us will reach out to you and we'll help you find the right step for you. For most people, that's going to include a life group. If you're already there, it might be other discipleship relationships and conversations that we can have. But we can go to that step next, and we can take it from there. And if you want help walking with Jesus, talk to the person who brought you that you're walking with. Talk to somebody that you meet in the lobby and said, hey, I want to get connected to this church. I want to walk in relationship with Jesus. Help me to do it. I'm happy to help you. Pastor Roland is always happy to help you. Um, life group leaders, raise your hand. Maybe throw up a peace sign. Let's get real frisky. It's like V for victory. UNOV, 6 and 1. What up? Come talk to one of those people who just raised their hand. We'd love to help you get connected. And God would love to walk with you regardless of what your life feels like this week. So we'll see you in life groups this week. Call somebody, walk with somebody, and we'll see you in church next week as we conclude our series, Airplane Mode. God bless.